My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are back with, um, this is a surprise bonus episode for the main feed. Um, something very interesting happened to us in the last couple of weeks. Um, something we really didn't see coming. And, uh... We wanted to get the word out about this thing as, as quickly as possible. Um, right. And luckily, we had a guest who would be perfect for this, as I'll as I'll explain all that in a moment. But first, let me tell you about our guest. Uh, you have you've heard him on the show on several different occasions, uh, notably in the episodes where he's been recapping the Mangler franchise with us. Uh, you've also seen him in shows like, I don't know, uh, Key and Peele, Community, uh, I was on College Humor a lot. He was one of the founding members of Derek Comedy, who made Mystery Team, a movie all of you should seek out. He's in Weeds, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. I could go on. Uh, let's get him out here, and then we'll explain what we're doing. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. DC Pearson back to the KingCast stage. DC, how are you doing today? As always, thrilled to be back on the show. Slightly mm-hmm. less thrilled to be continuing to... Um... To only ever be here for this uh, this franchise and or Dreamcatcher, those are the two times. <laughs> that is true. Those are the, uh, but thrilled to be here nevertheless, and <laughs> and kind of thrilled about this. Um, yeah, this like weird uh, development in kind of the franchise. Like mm-hmm. every time we think we're out, they keep pulling us back in. Indeed, I thought we only had uh, one more movie in the Mangler franchise to go with you, which is of course the Mangler Reborn. Um, but it turned out we discovered. Quite accidentally, um, here at KingCast headquarters, that there is another Mangler movie out there. Um, there doesn't seem to be any record of this online. Um, mm. I mean, of course, it's got an IMDb page and and all of that, but uh, no one seems to have covered it. I, I can't find any reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but it is uh, it is a continuance of the the Mangler franchise, and it's holiday themed of all things. Mm. Uh, Eric, would you like to? Talk about how we how, how did this happen? How did we find this? Well, it it's it's really uh, interesting, and and you might ask yourself why we are doing a whole bonus episode about this. I'll, I'll say this first: is there's a lot of Stephen King podcasts out there, right? And eventually, we're not going to be the only ones who stumble upon this. I was doing some like deep web searching, you know, nothing creepy. Don't don't worry about that. Don't worry about what I was looking for. Um, just dark playing DMT shit. on Silk Road, you guys. Don't worry <laughs> yeah. about it. It's not the <laughs> I, I, I was, year olds. Yes, I was. <laughs> I was buying some illicit drugs from Canada, and um, no, uh, yeah, and I kind of stumbled across this this thing. You know, I mean, listen, it was late at night. I had a couple of Lumi Labs in me, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, I so I like legit was like, is this thing real? And I stumbled across a movie called The Christmas Mangler, and I'm like, could this actually like? No, this isn't. And you fuck, it is. It's a Mangler movie set around Christmas, and. It was made in 2018, I believe, and when mm-hmm. we finally tracked it down, I 
I uh, uh, sent all that over to, to Scott and he instantly was like, we have to get DC on this. We have to get an episode out on this ASAP before we're scooped. Yeah, right. so it's like one of those Any things of where it's like if you podcasts? have like a politics podcast and it's like, oh, Trump is, just got indicted. We have to get everybody together and record like an emergency oh, episode. Also, this is like that. But And and I, I guess I'll spoil a little surprise here. We already recorded your Mangler, Mangler 3 episode. Yes, exactly. That's uh, what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. And, you know, I'll, I'll give up the goose a little bit on that. but Because uh, I guess time-wise, this would technically be the fourth one like this one came after right this one is fairly recent up for the mangler uh films i don't yeah. see i've already made a mistake because i thought this one came out after so it doesn't really matter what order we. i think it did I, I think wanted... it did it did no no, I mean. no i mean i thought this one came out before mangler reborn hmm. oh gotcha 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 yeah otherwise because that's why i wanted to make sure we had this episode air beforehand because you know one two three four it would be weird if we did it out of order. Plus, but the scoop thing, it doesn't matter. We're yeah. here now. That's exactly. all that matters. Exactly. And we're blowing all of your minds. This movie exactly. is available on uh, Amazon Prime under uh, the Christmas Mangler or just Christmas yep. Mangler. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by a gentleman named Bryant, Bryant, Brent Ryan Green, um, who's uh, he's got a little bit of a, a production history in Hollywood. Kind of a yeah. mover and shaker. Yeah, you, you kind of blew my mind with this when you when you mentioned this. You did you did a little bit more research on this than I did. I was just excited there was a new Mangler movie to talk about. Well, he's got a shitload of producer credits, and one of them is for uh, the 2016 Martin Scorsese film Silence, which is pretty incredible. Deeper digging reveals that he was an uh, associate producer, but uh, still, you know, he was working with uh, Scorsese. So, I mean. You had Toby Hooper on the first one, who's no slouch, but I think we could probably all agree that somebody who has worked with Scorsese tackling a Mangler movie is probably the, just in terms of directors, probably the highest level we have achieved in this franchise. Right. Would, do you, would you yeah, agree? Yeah, Toby Hooper worked with Spielberg, but like he never worked with anybody on Scorsese's level, you know? Sure. So. Yeah, I would no. say that up until this point, I would have thought that there was a like 10 degrees, uh, like the way there's six degrees of Kevin Bacon, that there's like a rule that Scorsese has to be 10 degrees away from anyone who's ever worked on a Mangler movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not so much. Not this one. Another thing about this movie that uh, we should say up front is that, you know, those of you who listened to the our first two episodes uh, with DC on the Mangler, Mangler and Mangler, what's the second one called? 2.0. Mangler. Well, we thought it was, and then it oh, doesn't. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> is it Reborn, is it or is that two? the third one? Reborn's the third one. Okay, it doesn't matter. If you listen to the first two Mangler episodes, you know that the second Mangler movie takes place in a private school where there's not even a Mangler in it. You know, there's a version of a Mangler, which we all admittedly struggled with the first time we saw it. Yeah. You know, it's like a computer virus that takes over a security system at a private school, and then that's like mangling the people. And what I found really interesting about um, the Christmas Mangler is that they no one involved felt obligated to maintain the um, the laundry press thing, you right. know, which they do in the fourth one. So this is like two movies right in the middle of this franchise where they're they're taking pretty wild swings because there is there's a version of a Mangler in here, but it's like the second one's version of a Mangler because it's right. not a laundry press. Yeah, it definitely seems to be 
like a theme for these Mangler sequels is they because even in the fourth one, which, uh, you know, whenever we drop that episode, you guys will hear that. If you haven't seen that one, even that one is just kind of like this piece together conveyor belt, essentially. Uh, but like, it seems yeah. like for all the sequels, they're just abandoning the whole giant iron monster of the, the first movie in the mm-hmm. Stephen King story. So, you know, I, I don't know. In like, fact, it, this one it's, is it's wood. Odd. It, it's, it's actually making it like really interesting seeing how people interpret what, you know, a mangler can be and do in these, uh, um, you know, in these sequels. And, and it's something that I, I wouldn't, I mean, listen, I'm a horror fan, you know, I want to see all the gore. I want to see the big, scary machine, but mm-hmm. I got to admit just as a film fan, it's really fascinating seeing how different directors and writers interpret what a mangler can be. And I think it speaks also to the power of like the Stephen King brand that it's just like how many of the, the this, this, this franchise is held together by almost nothing at this right. point. Like right. even the first thing, it's just like, it's based on a, one of the first short stories he ever wrote. And then to just everybody kind of wants a piece of this, it seems like, but they're just like four of the most different movies you could possibly have. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we can go right into it. We don't need to do your Stephen King origin story. Right. Um, DC, would you be willing to lay out the plot of the Christmas Mangler for those who may not have seen it already? Yeah. So the Christmas Mangler, which it's so funny, like when you when you first said it, or I guess I should say, like, it's funny how not funny it is. Like when you're like Christmas Mangler, I immediately thought like, okay, they're just going like full camp, like Gremlins, Gremlins 2 style with this one. Like they've been like, okay, the first couple have just been like completely all over the place nobody saw them so let's just take this ip and do something like over the top and ridiculous and like midnight movie-ish with it and camp and it's not like it's this but it's also just like so weirdly restrained like just Mm -hmm. the level of um i'll just get into it so we open on a graveyard which feels appropriate like immediately you're like okay mm-hmm. this is like horror we're <clears> out in a graveyard with like also you feel like you're watching like yellowstone or something like there's this old man who kind of like rides out to this graves this like mm-hmm. lone gravestone on his property and you kind of get that it's his wife and he's like oh i'm you know i really miss you i'm gonna do thanksgiving this year without you and it's gonna be really hard but i'm gonna get through it and it's kind of that like greatest generation or like you know mm-hmm. strong silent type thing where you can tell he's like really struggling it's not coming easy for him to share his feelings but these are his feelings and there's like genuinely i'm always i'm always shocked in these movies when there's like there will just genuinely be this moment of like oh like this isn't i'm not saying this guy's the best actor ever but like this is like pretty effective or just just like it also has a kind of like stephen king-ish sort of integrity to it where it just is like yeah this is we're just kind of getting this character and we're really building that out before we get into the like the the horror stuff i guess so this guy Mm -hmm. is like yeah my wife has died very recently and we live together on this farm and now this is i'm just telling her like yeah this is my first thanksgiving and i'm gonna try to like get get through it without you which just feels like a like a sad country song right yeah it's very westerny the whole thing and you know to your point it's um you can tell right off the bat there even though this is not dealing with a direct King property, it is picking up on his tropes. Like, so right off the bat, we know this is about salt of the earth types, right? right? There'll be plenty more King tropes by the time this is over, but this is like right off the bat, they're establishing their bona fides. Um, Kind of a rural, like strong Judd Crandall, you know, kind of type. Yeah. And I think this would be an interesting place just to briefly point out um, the, the gentleman, the cowboy that 
um, DC's talking about here is an actor by the name of Steve J. Young, who uh, Eric discovered something interesting about just before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, I, I clicked on uh, on his name just to like, who is this guy? Because he's he's got this incredible voice. Like DC said, he's not a great actor, but you know he he's got this crazy voice. Oh, yeah, and, his voice and is it, insane. Yeah, it's great. And mm. it, you know, and I was like, he, surely this guy's got to be known for his voiceover work or something. And lo and behold, he is. He's the voice of country music television. So that the southern deep, you know, he's the James Earl Jones of country music, apparently. So uh, he. Yeah, it, it's incredible. And when you like actually hear his uh, him talk in the movie again, the line delivery sometimes leaves something to be desired. But you know, you can tell why he was cast. The gravelly voice has such a uh, I don't know this draw to it. He's he's got a little bit of a quiet power, which also kind of sells a lot of mystery at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. like you know, I you know when you watch a horror movie, the thing that I you know you you see those context clues up front, like the very first thing we see is a grave, right? And here's a guy over it, and I'm like I'm waiting for the Shyamalan twist, right? Like this is going to be a guy that murdered his wife or something, and uh, we don't really get that. But then it I think it becomes kind of apparent that. It, what the thing about this movie is it's got a little a24 in it and that yeah. they don't really mm-hmm. they force you to read between the lines a little bit here and the subtext that i gathered and maybe i'm i'm crazy and you guys can can tell me if i'm crazy well hold on you're we're, we're derailing the plot synopsis mm. we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves that's all i'm saying so mm. i i think the next thing that happens um is that we see him then like that follows. And also again, it like, it feels very sort of like, you're just, you kind of end up revisiting these certain like locations and, and different things in these, like in, in the, like the King world where he's at the grocery store. And then I mean, like, it's like a small grocery store. It immediately feels very like it's, it's not in like Maine or anything, but like you get the sense that it's like, you know, in middle America right. or like in the West or something. And he is in a grocery store. It's kind of got like a the mist vibe, and he's just kind of like shopping quietly. And you can tell he like doesn't know what he's doing. And then the shopkeeper comes up to him and is kind of asking him questions in this way of like you can tell this guy hasn't really made the scene since his wife died. And even though his you know he's even then he was probably like the wife is like the person you talk to. She's nice. It's like the kind of person that like this everybody likes their spouse so this person kind of is like grandfathered in but um but yeah so this guy's like talking to him and knows he's a widow and he's like inquiring and inviting him to like thanksgiving dinner because he knows like obviously this guy's going to be alone otherwise and the guy is like oh yeah you know i'm not i'm just gonna do my own thing and i'm gonna whatever and he just clearly doesn't want to talk he's like super off-putting and then um he's asking about his kids and he's like oh what's so-and-so doing i think like laura and she, he, he, she's like, he's already walking away and he's like, oh, she's in Seattle. She's like a big lawyer or whatever. And then he's like, what about um, Jessica? And he's like, Jessica's not my daughter. Um, which is like kind of, again, like you're saying, Vespi, like the sort of mysterious, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like, okay, <clears throat> like, is she genuinely not his daughter? What's the deal? Mm-hmm. And then smash cut to who through like the language of film were like, okay, this is definitely Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, this woman who's like super down on her luck i hadn't seen this this actor before and and wampler had mentioned like oh tara reed is in this movie when you brought it up and so initially i was like i i I was waiting on reed i haven't seen tara reed in a long time has she gotten just like the most work done ever because this woman looks 
I would say more like Tori Spelling than Tara Reed, but for something I was just like, I'm already thrown for a loop by the fact that the Christmas Mangler even exists. So I was just like ready right. for anything. So I she just, looks like I Maria just... Bello, actually. She yes, reminded she really me does. of Maria yes, Bello. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know the actress's name or anything, but she's... Uh... Yeah, likewise you know. hadn't seen her but it also is the kind of thing where you're sort of like it was the kind of performance I guess where you just felt like oh this feels like for a certain like horror movie thi-. it had right. like a kind of a 70s horror movie this person maybe hasn't acted before but could go on to be in a bunch of horror movies right. kind of vibe to it um, and she's like in a hotel with her kids and again like sad country song there's a guy literally like passed out and there's a bunch of eviction notices, or I guess it's not a hotel room. It's like a very like an apartment down at the mouth apartment. There's literally sirens going on in the background. Suddenly it's like shaky cam down at the mouth apartment, (laughs) but there is a very unfortunate domicile. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um i think we're meant to just everything about this yeah. is saying like this is not she's not in a great way this is like not where she wants to be so like right. okay that's probably like jessica who is like not his no longer his daughter hmm. um and the, the guy is like this like good for nothing you know boyfriend is passed out on the couch and she just kind of like takes her kids and gets out while he's passed out and before she does that her daughter like gets up on uh, the counter and takes down like a bottle from above the sink. And she's like, what are you doing? And the daughter like pours it out. And it's very like, it's not subtle, but it is, I guess, more effective than you would see in a lot of, a lot of movies like this. The daughter like pours out the booze and then they, they split. Right. And once again, another Stephen King trope, kind of the abusive father figure there. So it's clear whoever was making this was, was trying to pull from like the grander Stephen King oeuvre, even though it's, you know, he's, they're making a, you know, a kind of a, I don't know, a lower, a lower budget, yeah. uh, you Not know, Mangler movie, but, any... but they yeah. did their homework, you know, sure. they did. They did and, their homework. I mean, I guess that's what you get. And, you know, that's the reason why Marty Scorsese, you know, handpicked him to be an associate producer on silence, you know, that's and, fair. That kind of attention to detail, you know? And then there's another thing that that kid, by the way, is has kind of like mad Danny Torrance vibes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's the precocious little girl who seems super innocent, but you can never trust that in in Stephen King uh, stuff, even though I mean, once again, I, I don't think King was even credited on this. But, you know, you can tell that the filmmakers were trying to pull those tropes. And yeah, the DNA I, is there. Yeah. And, and so I think the next thing is that kid looks at a book right as they're kind of leaving um is that the next part of the the plot i think so yeah Synopsis. yeah Man. this is our first indication that something is not right with the family right. Right, right. that jessica has come from because the kid pulls out this book that's like the story of the bethlehem story you know jesus mary joseph the you know the three wise men all that stuff but um this story has a mangler in it. And that's a little different. And you're like, whoa, right. what is going on here? Um, but then uh, the mom realizes like, oh, that's that book that that chap gave to me, the uh, cowboy that we met earlier. Yeah. And her reaction seems like not completely. Sup- you're like not surprised at the reaction because she's kind of she's very like weird about it. She's not just like, oh, yeah, that's the old like whatever. Like there's clearly something dark and weird and you're not sure. It's like, OK, that's probably what she was like trying to escape from right. or whatever. It sort of puts you in a different headspace as far as like the the this guy's wife being dead. Like it's not right. uh, it's it's pretty um, 
yeah, you just immediately are like, okay, this is all, this all kind of is making sense, even though you don't know what's happening, but it does just feel like sort of a weird, like backwoods folk religion thing going on, you know, like, is there something where it's like a weird hybrid of Christianity and something like more like Lovecrafty or weird or, or King ish? Is -hmm. this a world where like the Mangler story exists? Like you're not, you're not sure, but you know, something is very much amiss. Right. Yeah, like yeah. what would even be powering uh, a mangler in, you know, old school Bethlehem? It's it's hot. I guess. The, well, I guess we'll get to what's right. powering the mangler in this one. But, yeah. you know, that was that definitely threw me for a loop as well. But then they all end up at uh, Chap's farm or ranch, I guess I should say. And where it becomes very clear very quickly that Jessica has a very troubled history with uh, the opening scenes cowboy. So yeah, Shep is like making his own. I guess like they're they're like intercutting. Are you calling like him this, Shep? It's you're right. It's Shap, isn't it? It's Chap. It's Chap. You use that yeah, hard. All right, because it's Chapman. <laughs> yeah, Chapman. yeah. I think just Shepman. something about sort of Shepman. like Bethlehem and like shepherds or something. I don't know. I, was, yeah. I think it was all getting it was all getting confused. But yeah, you're right. three stooges. Oh, I guess that was Shemp. Right. Yeah. That also feels like another weird king like touch is I guess this guy just having this super specific everybody's like it's Mary Beth and and then his name is Joseph, but then it's right. like everybody calls him Chap and it just reminds me of like mm-hmm. when I'm reading any novel and they expect me to track like what the character's real name and nickname and whatever, and it's just <laughs> like all right, right, okay, right. It's Robert Baratheon is the yeah. is also the boar or whatever, you know. Like, right. Just, but <laughs> I'm there. Lane, I'm George R. R fucking yeah. idiot <laughs> so so chap is kind of and again it's like sort of sweet like i don't i don't like the feeling but then maybe that makes it extra eerie that they just kind of it's this sweet little guy puttering around like he doesn't seem evil he's just kind of trying to make his own little thanksgiving dinner and he's just doing it for himself like you see he's just got this one little plate out but he's like going to all this trouble and he's trying to remember like the way that she used to like do stuff and he's kind of talking out loud and talking himself through it and and then he it's already kind of not going well and i i was just as a cook getting nervous because like all of the burners were on underneath (laughs) all of the food and they had like on high and they all they all had the lids on so i was just like okay whatever's in there is like getting fucking blasted like it's gonna be it's all dry as a bone exactly yeah it's gonna be or it's just gonna be like caramel it's gonna be fucking blackened on the bottom of the pan Uh in two seconds but yeah but who knows um so he then he's like oh wait but her platter that she always used to use like for the turkey where you want to be like dude if this is just for you like you don't need to go to all this trouble but you can it's probably just keeping his mind off of him like for him like how sad he is so Uh he goes up to the the attic and he oh, finds I'm, the thing. I'm sorry to, I'm, oh, I'm yeah, please. so sorry to interrupt, but yes. this is the first like legitimately frightening scene in the movie, I think, because you know, this story is going to have a mangler in it eventually. You know? right. right. And we have, we have been taught now by this franchise that the mangler can take many shapes and forms. So when he went up to that attic, you know, which is very dark and it's up a creaky ladder or steps or whatever. It's in the, the barn actually, which is even oh, creepier. That's right. because right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a barn. It's, yeah, and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. a barn is big enough to house a mangler. I'm but just he has saying. to go up some steps, so he's like, because he yeah. falls down. I yes. guess that's why I'm thinking it's an attic. Yes, yes. But, um, yeah, I I don't know about uh, you gentlemen, but I really thought like something was going to jump out at him from the darkness. Yeah, th- this is the moment in, in the horror movie where the cat scare, jump scare happens. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Since it's a farm, it might have been like a raccoon or something, but that, that's kind of what I was expecting. 
but no, he just kind of loses his footing and uh, and falls and tumbles. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. It, it be it becomes this really kind of weird situation here because he needs to go. He needs medical service because he's an older gentleman living alone. Uh, you know what? Something that just kind of occurred to me is he's kind of dressed a lot like uh, what's his name Buster in uh, in Misery, Richard Farnsworth's oh, sheriff's yeah. character. Yeah. So, like, and again, that's got to be another Stephen King connection where this the person making you right. just paying right. attention to that level of detail. Um, it becomes clear pretty quickly that whoever this estranged Jessica is, you know, she needs a place to stay. They end up finding her and her kids find him on the, you know, hurt. And, and it becomes this thing where there's some tension there, but they kind of both need each other. This particular time is, is kind of the, the next progression of the, the story. Which as you're saying that out loud right now, I'm kind of like, okay, I'm appreciating this movie more than I, necessarily was the whole time we were watching it where I'm like, as you're describing it, I'm like, Oh, that does feel like the Bible story. Right. Like, and it was like, she needs a place to stay and there's this whatever. And just like the whole vibe of it, like it almost feels like, okay, this is like a, this almost feels like they were writing it from a place of like, this would be in like an alternative universe. If you are making a like hallmark or like overtly Christian movie. Right. For like, like some dark other twisted take like inverse Christianity. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, it's no, so it's, it's very subversive in that way. Yeah. 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 Cause it, yeah, you're right. It could easily be one of those cheesy Hallmark, you know, Christmas movies uh, on the surface. You so know, it, it, it's a really sneaky way. That's why I brought up the a 24 comparison. Yeah. Earlier. Completely. Like, I just think that, you know, it's really interesting how, how they're subverting all these expectations on what a Mangler movie is. It's really uh, subverting, you know, trying to hide that within like this pill that maybe you can get away, you know, fooling your parents into watching, you know? Holy shit. I'm just realizing as you guys are talking about this, like, I think there may be like a religious allegory at play in Mm. this movie. Like, cause think about it. Right. She is fleeing her home. Yeah. And she's coming to, a ranch, which is kind of like, you know, a lean to or uh, a, a teepee or whatever, whatever the um, wherever Jesus was born, whatever that thing you mm-hmm. called it w- right, was right. inside. Um, like, an, like an enclosure. Yeah. An enclosure is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, you know, Stephen King is always kind of given the side eye to religion. Um, I think we've since learned that he's a little bit more religious than we realized, but I think that he, he really does enjoy taking the piss out of people that corrupt religion for the wrong reasons. And, you know, this movie, I don't know if you look at it as a whole, it's possible that what they were trying to do here was subvert that entire thing, you know, kind of twist that trope on its, on its head uh, or flip it on its head, I should say. And then, incorporate mangler lore into it yeah the whole thing is kind of closer to like children of the corn than i would have necessarily thought going into it you know what i mean just the sort of like you're kind of isolated you don't know exactly where you are or how far from civilization everything is so you don't know if this is just like some version of mainstream christianity has like taken root here that's like dark and and just different and like is fused with some sort of like 
folk you know whatever and yeah i right i it's just i like, go i go in for that stuff not literally in terms of my actual religion but just in right. terms of just like genre wise it's yeah like it's very always very, very well they yeah. have a, they have electricity and shit so they're not right. like borderline right. mennonite kind of like right. the uh kind of like the children of the corn are but um it's clear that some you know some sort of dark sect has been allowed yeah. to to fester here which is you know, we keep bringing up the A24 thing, but that's what I kept thinking about, because mm. this is this is a kind of horror that I love, which is elevated horror. Yes. You know, um, people uh, th this has been one of the more popular things and movements within the horror genre over the last few years. A lot of people have not taken note of this, but um, it's this idea of creating, you know, what is a drama? In and of itself, you could look at this and say, this is just a drama, but we know it's not. This is elevated horror. So right. we know that it's scary when Chap goes up to the attic or the barn, excuse me. And there's a there's a scene later where he he's looking for his cowboy hat and he goes in a closet. And I was like, holy fuck, a mangler's going to jump out. But no, there's nothing in there. But that's that's just another thing that. And also, he's the literally... A24, the A24 comparison is more spot on than I. I initially didn't agree with it, but now that we're yeah. talking about this, I think you're right, Eric. Yeah, it's, it's there. There's some depth here, and and I'd also like to point out that it's it's still within the world set up by the original short story and by mm -hmm. the Toby Hooper mm -hmm. film, mm -hmm. because if you remember, like in those in that story and in the the original movie, it's not just like Christine where this thing is born evil. It's like there's it's possessed by something. There there is a Christian origin to this thing you know it was that combination of like belladonna and like blood and all this stuff right mm -hmm. remember that that like somehow made that mangler evil and so it's it's interesting it's like um when you go to like those fusion restaurants and stuff where they they like deconstruct your favorite kind of you know burger or whatnot and it's and they reshape it into something different but it still has that essence and mm -hmm. that's exactly what uh the christmas mangler is so yes I also feel like there's like a, a kind of a class commentary going on here that I feel like we haven't really gotten since like the original Mangler short story mm. where it's like literally based on King's own experiences, mm -hmm. you know, working just like a very, very blue collar job in this like, you know, laundry plant, you know, where they're like doing like hospital sheets and stuff and there's like blood and like maggots on them and whatever and he's thinking about like yeah what if what if somebody got sucked in this machine like what has this machine like seen and just kind of sort of a like upton sinclair's the jungle you know like the people that work on these things could get sucked totally. in but the machinery of capitalism if i can say that is just gonna like keep sort of grinding on you know mm. um and that kind of being more horrific than than you know any sort of um you know goblin um right. that's and, a really good point i yeah. i but then also to the earth thing up front but i didn't i didn't see it through to its well, natural yeah, but, conclusion but, but, but as you like, did what i love that this movie maybe does i'm realizing as we're talking about it that like hasn't really been seen since the first one is it's kind of almost like flipping that on its head and saying so sort of now in america people who kind of claim in the mainstream that mantle of like we're working class we're salt of the earth mm -hmm. we're whatever mm -hmm. are kind of you know predominantly more sort of like white um 
you know, maybe connected to agriculture, but pretty distant from the earth in a lot of ways. You know, the, yeah. these people like own a ton of like farmland in this movie. They have a ton of like high tech gear that we'll get to talking about for like their right. livestock and stuff. This guy has a nice like king ranch you know truck his house is really like nice and modern even though he's like an old farmer who's always like uh i don't know about seattle or whatever and it's just Mm -hmm. interesting where it's like he probably sees himself as very working class in a way but you also see that he's like he i'm sure that he would identify himself as like i'm a real american and he even seems nice on the surface but then it's also like wait a minute, like what else is sort of going on with you? And I feel like the movie is probing sort of underneath that kind of like stolen valor that maybe that we all kind of do in our conception of like what it means to be sort of like, who's mm-hmm. who's, a, who's the real American, so to speak, I feel mm. like is maybe being dealt with, is maybe at issue here. Yeah. I agree with all of that wholeheartedly. Do we think that like traditionally in the Mangler movies, a character is kind of possessed by a need to master the Mangler or, mm-hmm. you know, feed it. Do we do we think that Chap is possessed uh, by the spirit of the Mangler mm. from the very beginning? And if so, do we f- do we think that they n- and they never spell this out? So we don't know. But did you all come away thinking that um, he fed his wife into a Christmas Mangler? Ooh, well, that's really interesting you bring up because I. I think the movie is trying to lead you down one way of thinking, but if you actually mm-hmm. break it apart, I think that the the wife was mangled to death. That's clear. I mean, you don't open a mangler movie with a a tombstone, you know that that person was mangled. Fair, you know, you know that it's right. sort of like a Chekhov's but, mangler kind of thing. But like, I don't a mangler right on the wall. It's kind of mangled or but, has mangled. Yeah, but he, but he, I think he's put the mangler stuff to bed. Like I think that's what you're led to believe. And it's this young girl who's like, it, they're not really his grandkid. She in this, she's uh, a foster. This Jessica's a foster kid that kind of ran out on him. We find out right. later. Um, but you know, she's had these two kids. But you know, the, she does look at at Chap as you know her dad in a weird way. So her, you know, naturally her daughter uh, views him as a grandfather. And she is the one that is constantly obsessed with the idea of the Christmas mangler. And, Mm -hmm. and she's the one that like starts pulling him out of his shell. And I think he has the secrets to making it, but he doesn't want to. And over the course of the movie, she is slowly, but surely rallying and pushing him to do it. Like it, it, and she like, it's weird. She's almost the Robert England of this movie where she becomes this like, no, you can't just build the Christmas mangler. You have to build it a little town around it. Right. You can't just do that. You can't do it by yourself. We have to, she starts organizing the community. Yes. So she is like Robert England in the mangler mixed with Isaac or whatever in, in children of the corn. Right. You know, I gotta, yeah. I gotta tell you, I'm getting more omen vibes from the little kid. Because hmm. think about it from this angle, right? Yeah. Um, if, a, a, as you've posited, Chap has the secrets to making the Christmas Mangler. Right. And she knows that. But then we find out in this one scene that Jessica has had an abortion, mm. right? She stole money from the mom who uh, who loved Christmas, by the way. So there's, there's yes. something very poetic about her being taken out by a Christmas Mangler, if right. that's what happened. But... Um, she's Jessica, the mother stole money from, uh, chap's wife, chap and his wife, I guess I should say, uh, in order to have an abortion, but then ended up having these kids. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of thinking like maybe the punishment for that, and this is very dark, but maybe the punishment for 
making the decision to 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 have an abortion is that you're one of your next kids is going to be the Antichrist and kind of like lead an entire mm. community to assemble this Christmas man. It's not Am even I off I, the I, reservation I, here or is that like I think your line of thinking is actually right. It's just there's a detail that's wrong because she goes in to buy to buy herself an abortion, I guess, with this money that she stole. And she then decides she wants to keep the baby. And that's her oldest. So but oh. I do like the I do like the idea. Uh, but she I keeps missed the that. money anyway. You know, so she she still sinned and she had the idea of sinning. Right. And and, you know, you you have this whole. This, so this it whole is kind thing. of a punishment, though. I, I agree. I think that's exactly right because the next it's always passed on to the next one, right? It's not going to be this sulky teenager. It's not going to be that kid. It's going to be the precocious, innocent seeming little angel girl, right? right. And and uh, and I think that that's it's not going to be that kid wearing his headphones and being you know a loner or whatever that's going to organize this community to build this you know giant mangler uh, and mangler town. Uh, it's it gonna, would, well, it be, would if, be if this movie were a piece of shit, right? But it's not. No. I mean, you know, it's going to take. Were you going to say something? Oh yeah, I was just going to say like that to, to to your point. Like the way that they they don't. It's not sort of like oh we got to build the Christmas Bangalore. Dun dun dun. You know, it's very sort of like oh like it's almost like the movie is like on board with that or like thinks that's a good idea and sort of the it's like you see the whole town kind of getting on board. Nobody's like wait, what the fuck? Like what are you guys talking right. about? What are, like that's not the Christmas I know. Everybody's just like automatically like, well, that sounds like a great idea. And like, even the like stylistically, like the whole movie, like the music and the everything, it's kind of almost like this is the part of the movie where like things are getting better and, and, and we're finding a home and whatever, except you just right. know that what they're building is like, you don't know all the details, but you know that it's like this arcane perversion of, of mm -hmm. you know, Christmas mythology mm -hmm. um, that I think just plays into sort of how skillfully, you know, yeah. it's all it's all done, because I do think in a lesser a lesser film, they would have just like leaned into that with like, OK, obviously, I'm reassuring you, the audience, this is bad. No, they're going full bore into like, oh, mm -hmm. no, this is this is good. This is whatever, you know, and it's just like it's pretty it's kind of nauseating and it's it in its is. way but in I, a totally yeah. intentional way yeah. i'm glad you said that because like as we were watching this like i just kept imagining like this big neon sign in my head that just said heretical because mm, it, because mm, it really mm. is like this is yeah you know the narrative that's being put forth here is an abomination before god right you know there's no there's just no getting around that sorry nerds that's what you're getting into when you're fucking with elevated horror you know, yeah. we're not going to hold your hand or maybe we'll hold your hand a little bit. But we're you know, it's going to be about trauma and grief mm -hmm. and trauma and things like that that are, you know, pretty serious, pretty serious business. If you ask and, me and, and kind of painted uh, with the, a melodramatic brush, which is kind of the Ari Aster special, mm -hmm. you know, because you yep. get this whole like yep. subplot where the. Uh, the the melodrama subplot where the abused uh, fleeing you know uh, main character Jessica you know she starts having a romantic relationship or falling in love with the rustic good old boy you know uh, store owner that is there to help her out um, and I found that that was a really interesting uh, contrast to uh, you know the growing horror of this thing being built in in this fucking old cowboys yeah. like fucking pasture you know it's like 
I don't know. Like I just, I, that unsettling feeling that, that feeling of like, this isn't right. And, and things aren't going the way they're supposed to. And like, I just, I felt super uneasy watching the movie as it was going along, you know, which to Scott's point, that is what a true, a a truly great, you know, masterful elevated horror movie will do. Mm -hmm. it's, It's all about that feeling of getting under your skin. It's not about, understanding the plot or following you know everything making sense it's about that feeling you get it's that under the skin it's you know hereditary it's that thing that you feel when you watch those kind of movies i'm going to invoke a name here Hmm. and i don't do this lightly and you know that but the the nightmare logic of this movie where things don't precisely like one puzzle piece doesn't fit precisely into another but kind of does if you force it that sort of nightmare logic uh, reminded me of nothing so much as the uh, the works of David Lynch. Like there's some eraser uh-huh. head in here. There's some blue velvet in here. Yeah. You're getting a little. There's a there's just a smidge of Lost Highway if you look at it from the right angle. Mm. Um, I really, you know, there's there's a case to be made that the Christmas Mangler is this this perfect marriage of King subversion, uh, Lynchian nightmare logic, and you know, the sort of storied folk horror of uh, The Wicker Man, which is one of right. the great, great horror films. Well, to your point about the um, uh, the David Lynch thing, like, as you said, that something kind of snapped into place for me, which is like the sort of like the blue velvet, the kind of like, you know, 50s perfect Americana where mm-hmm. there's sort of like mm-hmm. seething unease like underneath it. This is almost like. It's doing that, but for a sort of like it's post January 6th, even though it came out before that, like it's sort of prescient in a way because it feels like, okay, like all of these guys in it that you you feel like the movies being like, these are okay guys. And they're just kind of folksy. You know, this is whoever I feel like they all just they're kind of indistinguishable from each other. And then there's the boyfriend has kind of the classic like alt right, like short on the sides, long on the top, you know, haircut. And it's just sort of is a feeling of like this is being like this is what somebody wants to sell you as the picture of like wholesome America now, you know, if that makes any sense. Right. right. Um, it's just kind of a like updating of that Lynch thing of sort of like, Oh yeah, this is the classic Americana that, that, that people want to sell you. But then like underneath it, there's something like really, really mm-hmm. dark is at work. Right. Nine mm. eleven. This movie's dealing with some actual deep themes here. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the the things that we should probably jump into is kind of the Jack Torrance nature of being hunted by this father figure. Mm-hmm. And um, so it should be clear that as they're setting up their new life with Chap and building the uh, the Mangler town, the, the whole time there's this fucking it's like the shark in Jaws is like constantly mm-hmm. like making appearances in the town. He's tracked them down to this town through credit cards. You know, that that part, I, I wasn't 100 percent sure how realistic that was. It, it kind of has its own logic within the movie that you could just call your credit card. It's very company. Rose Matter-ish, though. That's true. Like you can say, I'm going to track you through your credit transactions because I'm on the account. But also don't cancel that card because he wants to keep, you know, right. in case she runs again. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think there's so. something to like the consumerism angle of it all. Right. You know what I mean? And just sort of the true. like again, going back to the original short story, like, are we all just like trapped? Mm-hmm inside of this larger machine you know right i feel i mean 
Because I agree you, with you when, specifically, it didn't work, but I feel like there's like, like on a poetic level, like it for does sure, kind right. of work. I mean, all the details are thought out in this movie. You know, there's there's nothing kind of left to chance. It's a little Kubrickian in that way, in that there's no detail in this movie that isn't there on purpose. You know, if, right. if it looks like a mistake, it is obviously an auteur, um, you know, just trying to either mislead you in one way or trying to, uh, you know, give you a, a, a more death to a, a scene even if it doesn't make sense in the moment totally you know? there's a there's a scene in this movie where uh it's a shot of jessica and she's in the driver it's through a windshield she's in the mm. in the uh driver's spot right and her kids yeah. are in the back yeah. and the camera goes to zoom in on her but to the untrained eye it looks like they fuck up on the on that focus pull right but it's not i think what it's doing in that moment is it's sort of giving a sideways nod to De Palma and his use of split diopter shots. That's how I interpreted it. And sort I, of, I, I think that. to that, to that point, like I, I didn't necessarily notice that, but I, that totally makes sense as you're saying it. But one thing I it's did a blink notice and you'll miss it thing. Totally. Like, which I think it just, this is the kind of movie that clearly rewards, especially as movies with this kind of like unrelenting tone will mm-hmm. like it rewards multiple viewings. Cause that just kind of goes to show you like, Oh, everything has been thought out, you know, on, on, on this level not to get too deep in the weeds here on like film shit, but um, a lot of times they'll use something called diffusion, which is basically just like a chill smoke machine mm-hmm. to give things that kind of just like golden movie-ish look like you, right. you hardly ever notice it, but you notice when it's not there or like it's, it's just adds a layer of like a certain look to things that oftentimes will be An used Amblin even in like field. interiors. Exactly. Yeah. Very ambliny. Yeah, exactly. And in this movie, you might think like, okay, like, Maybe the DP like just heard about that and is like now just being, you know, oftentimes it'll be like they'll kind of hit that machine like in the room before, you know, they're ready to do a take, but they might have to like let it chill out. Otherwise, it really looks like why are they in a rave in their living room? <laughs> right. And initially in this movie, you're like, okay, the grandpa burns this turkey and then ostensibly that smoke just like stays inside this house the entire time. Sure. Like it just looks like at first cool. I was like, oh, is that a mistake? No, you know, no. And no, then, no. That's a visual indicator of, you know, of the past sin just floating in, in the air. Right. And it's, it's there to show that a past mistake will always be with you. Yeah. You know, see, I think that's one of the the themes of the movie. See, I didn't I interpreted it a slightly different way because you would expect when they pull that thing out of the oven, it would look like a burnt turkey carcass, but it doesn't. It looks like a bunch of charcoal briquettes. And what do smoldering charcoal briquettes remind us of so much as, you know, smoking rubble? You know, mm. um, I don't want to. I don't want to invoke 9-11 imagery again, but there, it, the the thing I thought of in that moment was uh, what's the Bible story about the guy? It, like everything, everyone turns to salt or some bullshit because of all the sin. Oh, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sodom yeah, and Gomorrah. Yeah yeah. 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 I've read that book, but it like, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of that. There's this blasted wasteland of what used to be there, you know, salted earth, basically. And right. and speaking of books, like even within the movie, it kind of speaks to the sort of like weird alternate like mythology that they're working with where this girl like is into this Christmas Mangler book. And then she's like read that and she doesn't have any other books at this, at this grandfather's house. And she's like, Oh, I found this other 
book. And would, did that belong to grandma or whatever? Did that belong to your mm-hmm. wife? Cause it has like her name written on it. And right. it's like, Oh, it's like written on it. Cause that was her Bible. But the way that the little girl interacts with it is so like, I've never seen this before. I have no conception of what a Bible is that almost right. felt like, I feel like sometimes when you see movies that were maybe made in like faith-based communities or one of these movies that's primarily, you know, made to like deliver a like proselytizing Christian message, oftentimes characters who you would think like, they've definitely heard of Christianity, right? Like they're not that out of it. will kind of act like, what, who's this Jesus guy? And right, I thought right. that was yet another interesting layer that this movie was playing with of like, oh, is it kind of like playing with that, with that trope, the way that like yeah. almost nobody would react that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really think too, just when you add the layer of like, oh, they have this other alternate, you know, uh, text, like who knows what is in that Bible? That's probably more like a Necronomicon. And the grandfather reacts very much in this way of like, oh, well, that's interesting that you you want to know about that. And I'll, you know, we'll go to the church and you'll find out more all about that. And I think that's how you start to get the way into like that this entire community, in, including the church, that just seems sort of like a very normal mainstream, you know, evangelical church is like uh, the, everybody's so in on this to the point where I was like, is there even a world outside of this is just how th- mm. this is just this entire alternate reality. You know, I don't know. I and wonder I th- if, you know, talking about alternate realities, I'm like, you know, I would never watch one of those for lack of a better term, like Christian propaganda movies, you know, the sort right. of Kirk Cameron makes or something like that. Like not for a million dollars. Would I watch one of those? You know, I'll, you know, horror. I love horror. I'll watch Christmas Mangler all day, you know, but I would not sit down to be preached to like that because I can pick up on it very quickly when I'm being, right. you know, if someone's selling me a bill of goods and that bill of goods just happens to be a religion that I don't ascribe to, you know, I'm going to know it real quick. Um, obviously, this didn't movie, this movie didn't do that, but. I'm wondering if you did show this movie to a predominantly, you know, evangelically Christian audience, do you think that they would embrace it as, you know, one of their own, basically? Would they even oh, yeah. up on the horror elements? I, it's so interesting that you say that because it's like, I would think that the constant repetition of the word mangler would like right. tip them off, like that something is amiss here. But then I almost, I think about it and like, not to get political, but I think about like, okay, yeah, you would have thought that like, the evangelical community wouldn't have embraced Trump as their like, true, you know, true. the right. the enactor of their agenda on an executive level. But it was like, oh, they they just like made this you know deal where they were like, well, he says he'll do it this stuff with Supreme Court justices, and now we live in like a post Roe v Wade America. Like, right. I just think it's sort of like mm-hmm. they would probably. I don't know what they would do. I would like to think that they would notice it, but I'm just saying nothing is sort of beyond the pale in a world where so many members of that community could be like, I don't care that this guy's done all of these things that I claim to abhor, you know, as long as he says he'll do X, Y, and Z, I'm on board. So who's to say that maybe some people among them couldn't be convinced that, you know, a mangler was part of Christmas. I mean, I mean, that's exactly I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. You know, I I think what's so genius about this movie, though, is that for a good chunk of that audience, I don't think they would recognize it. You know, that that's Hmm. that whole subversion thing we're we're talking about, you know, and it kind of also ties into the fact that Christianity and horror are like so intertwined anyway. We're not just talking about possession stuff, which we've already brought up, but, 
you know, the Bible's like those stories are fucked up. You mentioned the Sodom and Gomorrah story. You know, like fucking God wipes out humanity multiple times over. Like he does more. God has a bigger death count than Jason Voorhees. You know what I mean? It's like especially that Old Testament God. In that in that story in Sodom and Gomorrah, what what was God so mad about? Uh, a town that was uh, full of a whole bunch of people fucking each other. I think right. Hmm. Hmm. That's what there I remember is, from my I Sunday mean, school. That is another thing I wanted to. I don't know. You know, I could be, you know, maybe I'm getting carried away. Mm. But I felt that this movie was horny on mm. a level that I wasn't prepared for because the Mangler franchise has never introduced that level of like feverish, right. sweaty sexual anticipation into the proceedings. You know, there was right. no reason for it. But here it's just Jesus Christ is dripping off every fucking wall in the place. Yeah. You know, so I wonder if. You know, all the fucking that is clearly going on in this town is supposed to be this this movie's take on Saddam and Gomorrah. I definitely feel like that the you can interpret like what it has one of an ambiguous ending. Right. So what we right. it's kind of like the witch, like what happens after the events of the witch? It's like you imagine it's going to be some fucked up stuff happening in them woods. Right. And I kind of mm-hmm. get the same feeling here. So I think maybe. Maybe you're on something of like that. That is what happens in, you know, as the credits are rolling. You know that that little town that they're building, the the Mangler is reborn. And by the way, maybe Mary Beth comes back through the Mangler. Maybe did you ever think about that? That maybe that this is her way of rebirth because the town keeps talking about. Oh, and her name is Mary. Her right. Mary. Holy right. um, shit. And the town keeps talking about like this is how she lives again, and like I, I and I took that at face value. But like as we're talking and picking this movie apart, at face value, it's just like oh, this is how we remember her, right? Mm-hmm. But like as we're picking this apart, maybe she's literally going to be reborn as the Mangler. Yeah, there is weird. There's also like yeah, exactly. I I I I went to add to that and realized I had nothing to add to it because it's just like airtight, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I think that that's definitely the intent. I mean, obviously, with a movie like this, we're going to have to fill in some gaps on our own. But, you know, but that's the way that elevated horror works, you know, and uh, I don't know. I, I but yeah, I just feel that's right. So, uh, yeah, but I but to Scott's point, like, I think that the the true like the real crazy fuck you up horror movie is happening right after this movie cuts to black. You know what I mean? That's um, that's maybe the scariest thing about it. For sure. You know what? It, I mean, you know, what is scarier than that's a Lovecraftian shit. What is yeah. scarier than what that which you cannot see? You know, the, we literally the, the don't Mangler see cops it. are coming for D.C. right now. Oh, shit. On, a, on another episode of the show, I would jokingly say like, oh, that's what they should do with this franchise next. But I feel like <laughs> this movie pretty well sets up like where it could go. Like, I can't mm-hmm. imagine it because I'm not I'm not this director. But I do think like it just. You know, I feel like it sets up just a wealth of like us maybe finding out what's going on beyond the margins of this little world. Like, is there are there other people or is everybody like this? Like where, you know, there's just so many questions that it leaves you with, which sort of I do think, like, should we get to where are we at? I, I feel like we've gotten so deep in the weeds on well, just like the symbolism well, and stuff because there's so much of it. Well, right. here's the thing. In the end. The the Christmas mangler destroys the abusive boyfriend, right? With the power of Christianity, that's what's going on in this movie. That's the story this movie is telling. 
You but, know, but it's, the, it's the, its own weird version. It's like this cult that surrounds. Yes, of course. Like the community itself. When yeah, I say sort Christianity, of seen... yes. Let me be clear. When yeah. I say Christianity, I mean the specific sect of right, Christianity right. That, that have come together as a community to assemble this Christmas mangler. And they're, you know, they're all there. They're gathered around it. There's there's torches and shit. You know, they're there yeah. to see the, the Christmas mangler do what the Christmas mangler does. And who should show up but an offering of right. the abusive boyfriend? And he comes in and just gets fucking annihilated by this thing. Their kindness, yeah. their generosity. He's, he's done for. That's the end of that fucking character. So I think that I think that this may be my favorite of the Mangler movies as a result. Right. You know, you could I could imagine a scenario where someone watches this and does not even realize that it's a Mangler movie. Yeah. And that's brilliant that you could make a movie that that could theoretically fool a lot of fucking jackasses into thinking that it's anything other than the fourth installment in the Mangler franchise just by being this, you know, you know, otherwise nondescript drama with some, you know, terrible, terrible cinematography in it. You know, that's, you know, that's nothing, nothing to turn your nose up at boys. And it, and it is it just it's so amazing to see in a world where like and the fact that it's gone this undiscovered this long. But I feel like that's kind of maybe makes sense why it has gone so under the radar is like we live in a world now where everything has to be, you know, labeled, you know, the TikTok video has to tell you, you know, wait for the end or there's going to be a thing. And this is the guy destroying right. a heckler like in five right. seconds. Like we can't just see we can't stick around. No, nobody trusts us to have that level of attention span. And the fact that this movie does trust us to have that is really amazing. But then it's also obviously worked to its detriment because like nobody has nobody in the fairly rabid horror communities clearly has like come across it, especially in the right. like subset of like, you know, constant readers and, and people mm -hmm. that, 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 you know, just inhale this King stuff, you know, right. adaptations, good, good, bad, and indifferent, like that nobody has found this thing, I think just kind of speaks to like maybe why this movie has been or why art in general is punished for having that level of faith in its audience. But then also why True. once you actually find it, it just feels like such a so rewarding. Right. You know, it's it's really funny that you mentioned that because um, one thing I learned while uh, doing research for this episode was that the original name of this movie was uh, Bethlehem Ranch. And I'm thinking uh, stealth Stephen King adaptation much. Like, you're not even going to indicate via the right. title. Like, you can go to IMDb right now and look, and it says right there, Christmas... Ma oh, it says... Uh, it's fucking... It. They have it misspelled on IMDb. It says Christmas Manger. But uh, right below that, it says original title, Bethlehem Ranch. You know, so maybe it's possible that, you know, the people behind this movie, the absolute sickos that did this, and right. my hat is off to them, to be very clear... Uh, intended for that audience to see this movie versus people like us. Well, yeah, I but, think, but it's also, but just hear me out though. That's also a, a sneaky Stephen King reference because Bethlehem Ranch, Jerusalem's Lot. Oh. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, even, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't put yeah, that together first. Yeah. yeah, if it had been Bethlehem's Ranch, I think I would have got it. But it's the <laughs> right, lack yeah, they of put in random apostrophes. Yeah, I also wonder like yeah. how much of that was. I feel like oftentimes when you're making a movie, it's sort of like okay, like we don't 
we want to get use of this location or whatever, but we're worried that maybe these people aren't going to like, you know, you could maybe just like uh, go in and say like, oh, hey, it's called Bethlehem Ranch because you don't you're like, hey, we want to use this farmhouse, but we don't want to tell these people that we're shooting a thing called a Christmas mangler here that's going to raise all these other questions. So let's just kind of like throw that name out there and it kind of is tangentially related to the text of the movie, but like we really know like what we're doing. Mm -hmm. It just makes me think like how many people involved in this, like had no idea what they were doing. Mm. You know what I mean? Like did Tara Reed just think like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this little kind of like Christmas movie. That's sort of, you know, it's mostly going to be VOD or whatever. Maybe it'll be in a few theaters. And like, sometimes these faith-based movies do really well, or who knows, maybe she's like into that, you know, in, 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 in you know, super, you know, is like a Christian, you know, super mm-hmm. Christian, or maybe that aligns with her values. Right. What's that? Yeah, well, exactly. No, I, like yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Because she was famously, you know, and I'm glad we're getting into the Tara uh, readness of this all because, right. you know, she is no stranger to the the horror genre. She was in Uva Bowl's House of the Dead, which mm-hmm. I know we all we all love, uh, not to mention several of the Sharknado movies. Um, I think so even, she has she has she was even in Urban Legend, wasn't she? Yeah. In what? She was in Urban Legend, wasn't she? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I forget and about her. And she has Urban Stephen Legend. King root. She's in uh, that Return to Salem's Lot thing. As a, as okay. A, you know, oh my god. Oh, that's okay. too fucking. That's yeah. that's yeah. that is got to be on so, purpose. Like it yeah, feels that it just feels be, like such right? a hat tip. <laughs> Which is another kind guys, of forgotten. They got away with it Stephen for so King's long. Sequels. I know. What? Yeah. It, it, well, I was gonna say that's like another like forgotten Stephen King sequel. So, right. it, you know, I don't know. It's becoming her brand to be in these uh, surprisingly entertaining and in this case surprisingly deep Stephen King movie that people don't really think about. And I feel know? like not to get to Room Two Thirty um, Seven, Two Thirty Seven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about it, but like you just think about like, okay, what did Tara read? We were talking about the sort of the David Lynch, the kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, American, you know, exceptionalism, this sort of like Norman Rockwell, whatever. Like, what did she first burst onto the scene in and really become known for as part of the ensemble of the movie American Pie? You know, I just feel mm-hmm. like that's that's mm-hmm. there. Um, and I just feel like the the filmmakers are like so smartly playing on that. Right. Yeah. You sometimes need to bring in the baggage of the actor who you're casting, you know. And and the smart director will uh, will use that to uh, to help the themes of, of their movie. So she is on fire here, though. I mean, it is not literally. No, not li- not literally. Thank God. <laughs> like you know, um, yeah. uh, I think a lot of people would assume that Steve is the the standout here, but Tara Reid in her cumulative four minutes of scream time in this movie, mm-hmm. I think walks away with it pretty handily. I mean, am I am I crazy here or? Mm-hmm. Well, Did she has come a to difficult conclusion. She has a difficult job because she she plays the actual biological daughter of Chap, who kind of wants to put him in a nursing home. She mm-hmm. lives in in kind of godless liberal Seattle, right? Right. And she she has to play the the I don't know the kind of the heavy of the movie. Uh, at least she she's also kind of an. She comes around in the end, though. She does, though. I mean, that's the thing is you she's still Mary Beth's daughter. Right. So I got the feeling like she's just as fascinated and obsessed with the Christmas Mangler as, as her mother was. Hmm. So I feel like she moved away maybe to to try to distance herself from that. And that's why she's like a little closed off. And then she comes back uh, into the fold later and just 
she as much as she tries to resist it she can't help but be pulled back into the christmas mangler community spirit as they're building uh you know this fake bethlehem and in, in the uh you know to surround the christmas mangler and i think a lesser movie would kind of um make it explicit that that's tragic but in this movie it's sort of treated with that same level of like oh and she's mm-hmm. back and she's in the community and just like sustained you know the whole the whole time and I yeah. also think like, again, just it kind of kind of brilliantly adopting the tropes of sort of like Fox newsy parents type stuff mm-hmm. where like the dad keeps bringing up like she lives in Seattle. She wants me to come live in Seattle. And I'm and she's like, well, you can't you're living on your own. You're going to you know, you had an accident. You could die or whatever. And he's like, I would die if I lived in Seattle. And we're just supposed right. to understand like that that's inherently bad to live in Seattle, you know? And it just, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie really in deeply understands that that kind of worldview um, is, right. is pretty, is pretty amazing. And also some really great second unit stuff of literal Seattle, which is one of my, one of my favorite cities. I just love second unit stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I'm happy to see B roll from, from anywhere really, you know, but Seattle is, is particularly good for that. I find. Yeah, and and it adds something to the texture of the movie too when mm-hmm, you go for mm-hmm. the kind of the cheaper B-roll like you you could spend the big bucks and get kind of like a modern drone shot but it like it really does add to the overall kind of that nightmare reality you were talking about of the fact that they use something that was obviously like filmed on like a digital camera in like 1998 for their mm-hmm. right something you know, that would have been it, for like okay they're going to like the last season of Frasier is going to be in HD you know, right. so let's just have this. Um, yeah. that I thought was, yeah, I thought that was really, really, um, smartly used and also just puts leaves your focus in the right place, you know, and it kind of adds to that level of like al- the alienation that these people feel from the outside world. Yeah, I guess my final question here for you, mm. gentlemen, is that there's a, there's a scene toward the end of this movie where Chap is addressing Jessica and her children in his living room. Yeah. And, you know, we have come through all this horror and pain of, uh, you know, the previous um, 70 minutes or so. And he says to them, uh, and this is a direct quote. I wrote it down. uh, Mm. I have a Bethlehem and there is room for you at my inn. What do you think he meant by that? Because it's you can interpret that a number of different ways. Yeah. Like, does he does he own property in Jerusalem? Is he talking about the ranch? Mm, I think he's on the surface. He's talking about the ranch. But the deeper meaning there is that is the moment where the community is fully tipped into service Mm, to the mangler. Gotcha. That 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 is when it coalesces. That's when there's no way out. That's the point of no return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost like they've in whatever sort of like alternate reality you know, like dark mirror version of Christianity. Like they've built their, there's the, the second coming is like already happening. They've like sort of built like the place oh, that like Christ is going to be reborn. But in this case, it's yeah. Mary Beth via the mangler. I think yeah, is, the is, Mary what, we're, Beth is what we're saying. And obviously the creator could come out, I'm sure. And like, we'll eventually be at Comic-Con and we'll just like demolish this theory and it'll be something <laughs> right. totally different. But like, I ain't going that's to Comic-Con again, but we together. will, we will get them on the show eventually. Right. Um, but, you know. something that real quick, I want to put a pin in because you talked about how this isn't, there is an alternate reality feel to this. And that is so fully underlined. I had no idea in the moment why it would, this, uh, was there, but it, 
I think that you're exactly, it's a detail about this alternate reality, kind of cluing you in that this maybe isn't our level of the tower, right? Where I think the the grandson character, the the, the dude that's like kind of the most hesitant to join in on the Christmas Mangler fun, um, he shows the grandpa character. He shows Chap something on the iPad. Did you notice this? Where he shows something on a for a Google image search, but mm-hmm. it's not Google. It's Geagle. G e e g l e. Oh, and I thought that maybe it was like a a cheap like way to avoid trademark, but like maybe this is like a sneaky like dark tower style. Well, hold right. on, Eagle, like G e e g l e. Yes, that's three e's. That's yes, the fifth letter of the alphabet. That's five five five. That's one removed from six six six. Eagle. There's, yeah, holy shit. That's symbolism. That's that's metaphor. That's allegory. Murphy's law. That's that's everything all at once. I mean, you can Yeah, this is I mean, are we in agreement? This is the best of the oh, uh, the Mangler God, franchise mean, by f- like far and away the creepiest, just like the underlying sense of dread I had the entire time uh-huh. watching this, I feel like was just kind of speaks to like the the level that this is playing at and the level that these filmmakers are playing at in, in terms of creating this kind of elevated horror. I'm hoping that they get to work on another one. You know, we will we will absolutely extend the life, the lifeline of the show for another year if it means, you know, that there'll be a, a Mangler five and that we will find out what happened to Mary Beth when she came back as the the Christmas Mangler. Like I'm imagining a Mangler, you know, the classic Mangler, only now it's made of wood as as they built it in uh, in this movie, the Christmas Mangler. But yeah. now it's wearing a Santa suit. You mm. see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like part Mary Beth, part wooden mangler. And part this and absolute part desecration suit. of the original, you know, Christmas Day myth. Mm. You know, it's that it's that sacred and the profane. Man, I can already like just imagine what the design's going to be. Like I, I'm picturing like uh you know, a little industrial, you got like mm-hmm. Christmas lights going in and out. It's a yeah. little, little bit like that. Uh, you ever see that Jamie Lee Curtis movie virus? Yes, exactly like that, Mary but sort Beth of like, but Mangler exactly, but sort of, yeah, exactly. Kind of like biblical era. I'm no fan of AI art, but I, I do think I'll be getting on mid journey after this and just kind of mocking some, some stuff like that. Oh, up yeah. That's for, the future of filmmaking, baby. You want to yeah. get involved with that ASAP. Anyway, uh, DC, thank you for joining us on uh, uh, for this uh, a, a quite unexpected and surprise installment in our long running series of episodes on the Mangler franchise. Uh, Thanks for having me. I mean, yeah, what what a pleasantly unpleasant or unpleasantly uh, pleasant uh, surprise. Indeed. And uh, we will see you back here. Uh, well, pretty soon for. Uh, the Mangler 3. The Mangler, Mangler Reborn. Reborn. Thanks for being here today. My pleasure. And Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> <laughs>